Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Looking forward to coming to Billings. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've uh, been in your part of the, the country. And uh, back in the day when we used to travel and sing, we, we uh, had a Northwest um, a tour that we did, and we came through Billings and other parts of the West here and just had a great time with the Ramus Singers and Band. That was quite a few years ago. So it's good to be back with you. Look forward to it. Um, I don't know uh, how you feel, but I enjoyed the worship. Amen. It was very refreshing. Praise the Lord. Now, that first song, I did feel like there was a Holy Ghost square dance getting ready to happen. <laughs> but, 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 but trust me, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Amen. So, you know, some places you go uh, don't have musicians, and so you sing uh, with tracks and all, and, and that's okay, too, because it's the heart. You know, it's not so much that you have to have, uh, but it was just really good. So thank God for that. Sometimes uh, I think as, as a church, we can possibly uh, not realize how much we should appreciate that they get here early, they practice, and they put their heart into it, and then they have to pray and be ready to get on the platform and be actually a vessel that God uses. So uh, that's a lot of time, and uh, I appreciate that. Well, good. It's good to be here. It's really good to be with your pastors, and of course, Heidi, I'm meeting you, I think, for the first time. Did you ever come to prayer and healing school when I was over it? I'm, no. Okay. Well, your pastor, Pastor Sean, was one of our ushers, and uh, I won't forget him, many, many of them. I don't remember their names, but I remember their faces very well. And that's kind of the, the person I am. I've, I've, I, one of the things my wife has told me to do, you know, is, she, well, there's a couple things that I've promised her. <laughs> I did a really bad thing a few years ago. I, I, had, I kinda had promised her, but it wasn't a final promise. Like I was listening, but I wasn't really engaged. When I told her that I would never, ever ask a woman if she was with child. And, and then it just came up, this very thin gal, you know, at this one church, and she was standing there and had a perfect baby in her belly. It was round, you know. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have figured that out any other way. And I just, without thinking, said, what do you do? And she said, I'm not, I'm just fat. <laughs> and it was the pastor's daughter. So anyhow, I barely made it out alive out of that place. And I apologized many times, and she assured me that it was actually okay. And when I told my wife, she did one of these right here, right here. Look in my eyes, you know. And I had to repeat after her. So now I can't say I'll ever do that ever again. I won't. But I also promised her that I would not make up names anymore because I'm not good with names. And so there's times when I feel like I really got it. You know what I mean? Like I know it. And I say, Mark, how are you doing? It's great to see you. And they'll say, no, it's Sean. Shoot, you know? And then if my wife's ever there, she goes, how could you do that? I said, I felt like I had it. So anyhow, I promised her I won't do that. But, um, you know, it was wonderful the years we had at prayer and healing school. And what a, what a journey for all of us, you know? All those that were students, and I being who was in charge, they all thought I knew what I was doing, but I have a really good poker face, and most of it was the first time I ever experienced it, too. I just acted like, you know, I'd been doing it all my life. 
And uh, we, we really did have some great experiences in prayer and had some tremendous times with all the students. And it just seems to, to be that way. I, I kind of get that still even to this day. You'll meet some of the prayer school students and they'll say things like, you know, as far as I know in our class, some of the ones that are doing the greatest work are the ones that went to prayer and healing school. And you say, well, you know, is it because you did such a good job? I promise you it's not because I did such a good job. It is because of the nature of what prayer and healing school was. The classroom was a classroom. Now, I did teach one semester, and then they kicked me out. <laughs> and I taught, you know, the, um, the life of evangelism or something like that. So, by, because I was so used to prayer and healing school, I couldn't just teach. I had to, you know, get in there and just mess with the students, you know. And so we had, you know, the power of God falling on them. You know, we had some students getting healed in that class. There was one young man who, uh, since he was like 11 or 12, was a juvenile, uh, had juvenile arthritis. And so in his feet, he couldn't walk lest he take an hour in scalding hot water in that morning just to loosen up his feet. And even then, he walked a little bit more stiff, like his joints weren't, weren't open. And so on my final exam, eight points, which eight points is worth an A or a B or a B or a C or a C or a D or an F, you know. So eight points worth, I said, will this young man instantly be healed the moment that the test is over when I lay hands on him, yes or no? And everybody in the class said yes, except one guy said no. I'm glad I didn't know that he said no before he took the test. You know, I was like, I flunk him. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't. <laughs> and when that, when that test was over, you could see everybody, they put their, their, pens, their, you know, their pencils down or whatever to take the test, and you could just feel a buzz, like they're just all looking around, like, come on, everybody, hurry up. You know, we want to get to this, you know. And sure enough, I walked back there, touched that young man. God's presence touched him. He jumped out of his seat, almost scared the life out of him. <laughs> And took off running, no, not running around the room. He ran out of the building and ran around all the buildings. Came back in a huffing and puffing. And to this day, he has contacted me and said, my feet are completely healed from that day and forever. Amen. And so thank God, you know, we just had to mix it up a little bit. But then that, I think people found out and that was the last they had me in there, you know. <laughs> but prayer school and healing school, think about it. If you're going to have prayer school, you've got to have answered prayer. Otherwise, what is it? Well, it's nothing. And if you're going to have a healing school, the first, the first three months of healing school, I laid hands on people. We only had four people healed. I have no idea how they got healed. You, you can't duplicate that, right? Most everybody died. It was a hospice home at best. We'd send them away, say, keep the switch of faith turned on. Bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. And I'd preach, you know, until I was spitting white, you know, and just preach my heart out. And then we'd hear they died. I mean, they died left and right like flies. So something was really flawed. You know, we had to actually figure out what we were doing. Why? Because healing school, you need to have healings. <laughs> and three months, four people healed. That's pretty short on the healings. The first person I jerked out of a wheelchair Oh, my God. They hit the floor faster than I jerked them out. <laughs> Scared the life out of me. I didn't kind of see it that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I went to get him up and had to have my helper. And we went to get him up and put him back into his wheelchair. But the, but the brakes weren't on the wheelchair. <laughs> so the moment that his rear end hit the front of the wheelchair, the wheelchair, and he hits the floor again. 
Now, if it's bad enough you're praying for him and he hits the floor once, it's really bad when he hits the floor twice. What's worse was it was 10.30 in the morning, and by the time we lifted him the second time, he didn't have a belt on, and now the moon is out. It's a full moon at 10.30 in the morning. Okay? So embarrassing. He couldn't have walked if he was actually healed because he's naked. Finally, his son comes up and grabs the chair, and I wanted to say, where have you been? Are you kidding me? It's your dad. We slopped him in the chair because we didn't put him in the chair. By this time, it's like his back was on the chair and his whole body is there. and We're covering him up. <clears throat> and now I've got to walk from the back of the room to the front of the room and act like something is good <laughs> about this situation. <clears throat> and I'm walking to the front saying, praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I mean, I'm just in my, in, on my, in my heart, I'm saying to the Lord, Oh, my God, I'm going to jail. I mean, lawsuits, you know, Lord, get me out of here. And by the time I got to the front, that man yelled out and said, Preacher, I thought, here it comes. He said, what you did was right. What you did was right. And I wheeled around and I said, sir, what was right? And he said, I've got feeling in my legs for the first time in my life. And all I wanted to say, but I didn't, but I wanted to say, and if you wore a belt, you could walk. <laughs> That was healing school. That was the best we had right there. But then I just couldn't do that anymore like that. You know, you get to the end of yourself, and sometimes that's where we have to come. When we get to the end of ourselves, and I was proud that I could preach. Whoop-de-doo, I had five sermons to my name. You get real good after you preach them for three months. I came to the end of myself, and I said, Lord, it's not their fault. They're sheep. Sheep don't find the pasture, the cool stream. The shepherd does. And it's not your fault, so there's only one guy left, and that's me. And I said, Lord, if you can change me, we can change healing school. And I didn't know that that was a good prayer, but that one got answered immediately because he began to change me, and he began to open my eyes. And we changed what we were saying because God showed me we were saying it in a way where you couldn't get the healing. And we began to change the perspective of who God is and help people to know something's getting ready to happen right now. And all of a sudden, healing school broke loose and miracles started happening left and right. Many of them would happen and fall on people without even touching them. Hallelujah. And it's always there. You know, I mean, you say in one sense, you could say God is everywhere and almost anybody in the country unless they determine themselves to try not to believe in him. And I say it that way because atheists actually do that. They convince themselves that they don't believe in him because everything around them scientifically shows that there is an amazing mastermind out there that did something besides a big bang. You know, meaning you have to work to not. And even when you don't believe, you know, the saying is, there's really no atheist in a foxhole, right? Which put them in a life and death situation. They're going, oh my God, I thought you didn't believe. You know what I mean? So people really work hard. Most people would agree, God is everywhere. But what does that really mean if he's everywhere? Unless we actually believe that he's here. One of the songs we were singing there was about when the father's in the house. Hallelujah. I thought there was background music. I was saying, this is awesome. I feel, I feel like this moment right now, 
where I want to flow and I want to just almost start to sing a song in the spirit. And, he, and it left. Where'd it go? Some of my most fun moments is watching someone's phone go off and then the literal horror that comes over their face <laughs> as they realize it's them. This one doctor, he'd gone on to be with the Lord, but I used to love watching because he just didn't kind of get it. So it happened multiple times. And when it would go off, he'd be like, and the foam. <laughs> and then he's, he can't get his fingers to turn it off. And it was just, it was, it was like my moment to, to watch. <laughs> I think God loved it too. Amen. But no, the Lord is here. And like Pastor said, let's take it up another step, which is just to say, if he really is here, then let's experience him. You know, it's, it's, it's Daughter's Day. Does anybody remember that? Did anybody remember to say something to your daughters, you know? And don't, sh don't shake your head no and reveal that you didn't. Just stare, you know? Okay, well, I did, and I wanted to say something to my daughters, and they said some things back to me that are very extremely meaningful to me. And, you know, you just want to be there to hug them and love them. I mean, your kids, are they grow up so fast. Well, God's here, and he loves us, and he wants to touch us. And I'll tell you what, everything about God's love is to show himself on your behalf. Amen. God is not in word only. I mean, think about it. The precedent for the whole Bible and everyone's life connected to God is found right there in the first three verses of the first chapter of the book. And God said, and it happened. And then God inspected it. He saw it. Why did he see it after he said it? He wanted to make sure it looked exactly like he saw it inside. And not only did he see it, he actually stamped it like an inspector and said, now that's good. Yeah. And when he, when he completed everything, the last verse, 31st verse of the first chapter, he said, it's very good. So God likes to see that his work is accomplished and it's good and it's very good. Amen? So tonight, let's just thank the Lord here. Father, thank you for these people. I thank you for their beautiful hearts, for the songs that we sang, for the love that's in this place. And now, Lord God, you already are here. So I don't have to say fill this place because you're here, but manifest your fragrance, manifest your glory. Move upon these people right now and begin to touch bones and joints and, and pains. Remove those, Lord, and drive right out of people's bodies any type of disease. Glory to God. They'll not live a cancer cell be before this service is over. I thank you, Lord, for touching people in their heads so they don't have headaches, they don't get migraines. I thank you, Lord, for bringing vision back in somebody's eye here tonight, right between the, at the base of the neck, between the neck and the shoulder, there's someone that's had some type of a difficulty, maybe an accident. It seems like it's, it's a, some time ago. It seems like it's a man, but I thank you. He's being healed right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone's intestines are being healed tonight, and they'll no longer have to fear for what they eat because they won't be sick ever again. I thank you, Lord, for touching someone's bladder. Lord, someone's being touched right now, and that bladder is being healed. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Someone's feet are being healed tonight. You're doing things because that's the way you like to do when we acknowledge you as the one true and only God. We thank you, Lord, tonight. You'll just do so much more in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Well, if some of those things we said are you, then take that, all right? Especially that whoever seemed to have a problem, uh, you know, right in at the base of the neck, it seemed to get more, more specifics for that. It seemed like it was a gentleman. Might, maybe it's an accident or something that's happened, and it's been that way for a long time. Is that individual here tonight? Amen, brother, is that right? Have you had any moments in your life recently where you said, you know, I just want this to disappear. I want this to be gone. I'm tired of this. Have you had a moment like that? Amen. Well, why don't you shout me down as you notice that all of it's disappeared? Because this is the last night you'll ever deal with it. Amen. We thank you, Lord God, for it. Turn over your Bibles to John chapter 10. While you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and just make a couple comments about the book table out there. Now, just so you know, I bring a book table for one really good reason, and it has nothing to do with money, just in case you're wondering. I'm, I'm really a stickler for uh, downplaying the whole financial thing. I believe God. Amen. No one gives me a dime here. Somebody will give whatever's needed uh, before the week's out. It'll just happen that way. It just always does. Okay? And um, so I'm really not moved. And there may be somebody here that, that would say, well, brother, if that's the way you think about it, then that's good. I'm going to keep my dime. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> if you're only going to get a dime, you can keep it. I, I'll help you out. I'll even buy you a coffee. Praise the Lord. But, but excuse me. So anyhow, uh, the reason I bring it is sincerely for this, and that is, you know, people hear what I'm going to say. It's nothing more than your pastor's been saying, but it comes out of a different vessel. There'll be different stories attached to it, and it may make sense. A lot of times people will walk out, and I know how this works. I say, oh, my God, that was amazing. And pastor's standing right there going, I preached on that a whole series for three weeks. <laughs> well, the reason why it was amazing is because he did preach on it for three weeks. And then you heard it a little differently, and it actually made sense. So we've got some materials out there in case you'd like to have some more of what you hear. Uh, then they're available back there. And everything we've got is priced, oh, priced real low. See, the $5 special right here. This, uh, actually, I was on the Sid Ross show, and he took one of our series that we did, even some of the, the material from prayer school, on, on uh, 10 reasons why you'd want to pray in other tongues, which just came from Brother Hagin's book, Why Tongues? And we embellished all those thoughts, you know, with my own stories and things like that. And uh, it turned out to be a great time where when we were done teaching that at prayer school, all of us thought the exact same thing, which is, why am I not doing this more often? When you begin to see the benefit of what we have in the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, you really need to ask yourself, why am I not doing this more often? It doesn't take uh, time. You can do it even while you're walking. You can do it while you're driving. Now, now don't get lost in the Spirit while you're driving. <laughs> Amen, amen. But at the same time, you can do it a lot of places. You can do it really at work if you're kind of by yourself. You can just quietly pray to yourself. I mean, that's something that's amazing. So what's one of the amazing things? It's a divine connection from your spirit to God. And it becomes a proving ground and a training ground where you begin to actually recognize you. You know, it's very difficult for you to recognize God if you don't know you. You say, well, what do you mean by that? There's nothing about this world that's, that's helping you to find the real you. The world's helping you to find your flesh. It's helping you to, to, to mess up your mind. But it's not helping you to become spiritually minded of the spiritual being that you are. Everything about the world actually causes you to put on different hats at different times and different faces. 
A few years ago, we had our last parent-teacher conference. Well, wasn't that a doozy? It was with our, our youngest daughter. And she would have been maybe the, mm, well, I don't want to say it this way, but kind of definitely needing to mature and grow, you know, grow up, you know, which is okay. You know, everybody grows up at different rates and stuff, and, and she was real mature in some areas and less in another, you know. Uh, but as far as her particip participation at home, she needed a little bit of help and still does. So we went to this parent-teacher conference, and we sat down, and the, and the teacher, it was a man, he said, well, Mr. and Mrs. Hockaday, I'm just so thankful that you're here. I want to talk to you about your daughter, Chloe. I said, yes, sir, go right ahead. He said, well, I just want to make a statement here, a blanket statement first, and that is if we could have more students in our school like Chloe, it would be a better place. Uh -huh. I said, well, that's so nice. Thank you for saying that. I said, would you elaborate as to why? I wasn't doubtful. I just wanted to know why. Why would you make a statement like that? He said, sure, I will. He said, well, Chloe is very bright, and she gets her work done usually faster than anyone else. And he says, without even being told, I've watched her walk around the room and help other students and say, is there anything I can do to help you? Now, when she said this, my wife, under the table, pushed her foot over to touch my foot. And what she was saying by her foot touching my foot is, he said, Chloe helps. <laughs> So I said what she was thinking. I said, did you use the word help? He said, I did. I said, that's very interesting. Is there anything else that you can share with us? And now our feet are touching each other. <laughs> and he said, well, when the class is over, I've never asked her to, but all on her own, she comes up to the front of, of the classroom and cleans up for me so that I'm ready for my next class. Now my wife is pushing so hard, I have to put some weight on my foot so she doesn't <laughs> just push my foot over because now what she's saying is, clean. So I articulated what she was thinking. I said, did you use the word clean? He said, yes, I do. And I said to him, we'd really like to meet this person. <laughs> I mean, when we got home, Chloe said, you know, hey, how did the parent-teacher conference go? I said, it was amazing. We learned some wonderful things about you. I said, so after supper, you can go ahead and help mom clean. She didn't really appreciate that, but yes, we did, we did give her high praise for what she's done there and how much we appreciate that, but that kind of sums it up. Think about it. You know, when you're around your classmates, you act a certain way. When you're around your relatives, holy smokes, sometimes we even have those times kids come here. You know, this particular family is coming, and um, we have to prepare you for this family. <laughs> Right? And, and when we're around mom and dad, we act a certain way. When we're around our employer, we act one way. If you're the employer to the employees, you might act a different way. And lo and behold, what's the possibility when we walk into a place at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday that's called a church, who's to know whether we're actually acting like us or whether we're just acting like church? I was in one service and I was behind this one lady that came in late and I was just worshiping God and just thanking the Lord and all of a sudden she came in and she put on a display that I've never seen in my life and it caused me to have to stop worshiping and just actually look at her. She became, in my mind, the greatest professional lifter of hands that I've ever seen in my life. Her hands went up and then they just went like this and she went up like this and she went back and forth like this and she went around and around and around and she just lifted those hands so high and I thought, that is amazing. <laughs> I just found myself watching it like, this is so much more in depth than me just having my hands up like this. And then I wondered within myself, does she do that at home or only when she comes to church? 
And if she does do it at home, praise God, I need to take lessons. That's what I mean when if you can find you, the real you can find him. Amen? Oh, you're too easy to talk to tonight. Uh, I'm supposed to be getting to my sermon here. But anyhow, we got some really good things. $5, amen. It's back there. Uh, that'll really help you. Another book right here called Living the Miraculous Guaranteed. Actually, this book uh, are the beginning of the sermons where God changed my quote-unquote theology or my perspective that caused all the healings to take place. That's in here. It's a real easy book to read. It's called Living the Miraculous Guaranteed. This one right here is a real fun book. It's actually a commentary that I did to the Gospel of John called The Miraculous Gospel of John. It's packaged real nice in a, a leather. It looks like a Bible here. And all of the commentary is slanted towards... Why does Jesus do what he does, and why does Jesus say what he says? Now, we know Jesus said, I don't say anything unless I hear my father say it. I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. But he still has to actually accept the thought of what's being said and convey it properly and accept the action and act it properly. So he still has to have a consciousness of victory. And if you begin to explore why he did and why he said, all of a sudden you can have a consciousness of victory. That's in here. And this last one right here, this is one. We've got some other ones out there called What is Reality that are really good. Maybe I'll talk about this another time. This one right here I'm going to give to my, my uh, pastor friend over here that we just met. And uh, because I'm really terrible with names. You'll have to tell me your name again. Jordan. Jordan. Amen. I was going to say Sam, but I didn't want to say that in front of everybody. <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't going to say Sam. Uh, this is called Until I Come, and you probably were in some of this material. That's uh, one of the books that we have back out there, and it's all about doing the works of Jesus, and it's about anybody can do the works of Jesus if you'll just think like him. So it's some real good material, and you know, if it doesn't bless you, amen, there'll be someone you can give it to, amen. And that's got about 20 hours on it. The other ones we have out there have about 80, 84 hours on it. One has about 30 hours on it. So those USBs you can actually put a lot of information on. All right, tonight... We'll just take a little bit of time here, share something, and while we are, our brother's being healed here. Amen, amen. Have you checked yourself yet? Praise the Lord. Something, something's going on. If you're not healed in about 30 minutes, I'm going to jump on your shoulder, and it's either going to be better or worse, one of the two. Amen. <laughs> okay, so come on over to John 10, verse 17 to 18 in the New King James Version. It says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Notice Jesus said he lays down his life that he may take it again, almost inferring that he seems to have control of when he lays it down and when he takes it back up. That's interesting. Then it goes on to say, no one takes it from me. So that control that he seems to have basically eliminates anyone being able to kill him. That's also very comforting, isn't it? And he says, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. Huh, that brings in another part of the equation that maybe what he has in his dominion and his authority and this sense of confidence and this place of security is being backed by somebody. It's not just alone, I am so strong, no one will ever take my life. No, he actually has something behind that. 
Years ago, I was, I won't tell you the whole story. Years ago, I was asked to do um, a youth meeting. Now, I'd never done a youth meeting before, and it was for a pastor that I highly respect, had a very large church. They're going to have 300 to the first youth meeting. The second year I did it, we had 600 there. Okay, and so after I hung up the phone, because what are you going to say when the guy calls you? You respect him a lot. He says, Jim, I want you to do our youth meeting. Well, yes, sir, I'd love to do the youth meeting. Praise the Lord, this is a real blessing. It's an honor. Thank you very much. Well, my secretary get with you, and, and she'll work out all the details, but we will be down in Panama City. You can bring your whole family. We'll pay for your family to come. At that time, we had two girls. Now, of course, we have three. And uh, it was Panama City. There's a beach there, and Commander Kelly was going to be there for the kids, so they were going to have all kinds of fun kids stuff. We'd do some beach time in the afternoon, and I'm going to preach to all these youth. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Hang up the phone, and all of a sudden, it hit me. Oh, my God, I don't do youth. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even cool anymore. You know what I mean? He said, how do you know that? Because my wife tells me all the time. And so now I'm sitting there at my desk and I said, oh Lord, you have to give me an equalizer. And where I got that from is Brother Hagin's testimony about how he was a sickly boy, but he was real tall. And he said they called him Tom Bean. They called him String Bean from Tom Bean, Texas. He said, you know, if somebody messed with me, he said the only way I could get back at him because I wasn't strong enough because of being sick is to get an equalizer. He said, so I'd stand around a corner, have a brick in my hand. When they came by, I'd just poof, hit him in the head, <laughs> knock him out, and just go my way. And they always left me alone. So because of that story, I said, Lord, I need an equalizer. Now, the moment I said that, I had a vision. It freaked me out that I had a vision. I almost ruined the vision by saying, I'm having a vision. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Wait till you have one. It might freak you out too. So I'm having this vision and I see myself arm wrestling the strongest man at this youth meeting and wagering the whole meeting on whether or not I can whip him. Well, in the vision, you know, I'm all buffed and just, you know what I mean? And then I had to come back to who I am. So in the vision, I'm just excited. And when, when I got done with the vision, I'm just like, Lord, this is awesome. I'm going to do this. This is great. What a way to get their attention. And I was so excited until I got home and I told my wife about it. First thing she said is, you really going to do that? And I hadn't considered that I might not. So all of a sudden, now I, I don't know. I guess I, guess I am. And now over the course of the next couple of months, I had this fight within myself. You're going to do it? You're not going to do it. Having a better day? I think I'll do it. Not having as good a day? You know, pull somebody up a wheelchair, pants fall down? I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm going back and forth. And all of a sudden, some friends came to our house that actually were being pastored by this guy. Some traveling ministers that I travel with, the Raymond Singers of Man. And I, I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to tell them they're going to think this is amazing. And I told them, and they both didn't even crack a smile or change expression. They just looked at me. And I thought, what? And they said, we've seen people lose their ministry doing things like this. And for the next 15 minutes, they literally almost chastised me to think, how in the world could you think that, of doing something like this? I mean, this is our pastor. You need to know that you 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 know. I thought, you're going to make it a song out of this or what? That, that it's God, otherwise you'll lose your ministry. So I looked at him and I said, you know, what would I have done if you hadn't come? 
thank you so much. And they said, you know, we just love you. We're just glad we could be of help. And they went up the stairs. As they were crossing the catwalk, I looked at them and said, hey. And they looked at them and said, yeah. I said, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and they said, you're going to do it. What would make you do it? I said, you said I could lose my ministry. I've been trying to get out for years. I said, it's perfect timing. I'm young enough to take up another career. And they just literally shook their heads like this as they walked on to bed. Amen. But what was I banking on? I was banking on the fact, not that I'm so strong, I'm banking on the fact that God's going to back me up and he's going to be in my arm. And if not my arm, he's going to at least be in that guy's arm to make it, you know what I mean, like this. So that when I, you know, use my strength or else he gives me super strength, we win. Do I have to tell you the rest of the story? Yeah. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> so we get there, and my wife was all in face. She sat in the very back corner right next to the door. <laughs> so I was all by myself. I'm standing there in worship, and the guy leading worship, his golf shirt didn't even come over his arms. It's stuck right there. He's got these big guns sitting out there. In worship, he would say, let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. And when he did, it looked like he was going like this to me. Amen. I just had visions, you know, coming constantly. He would say, come on, let's praise the Lord. And traps would... He didn't have a neck. It was like this. The shirt just went up and it went out because it was just from the neck down to the shoulders. Amen. And I'm watching this guy, and then I found out his name. Well, some of you will appreciate this, but his name was Andre, which if you go back far enough to the WWF wrestlers, it was Andre the Giant is going to kill David, and I was David. So the whole time I'm standing there, I'm thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? I am going to do this. No, you're not. I am going to do this. And I was given the microphone, and I stood up, and I said, now, 300 youth. I mean, you can't fool them. If you said something like, the presence of the Lord is here, they're going like this. Where is he? You know what I mean? You can't fool them. Not that you're trying to fool anybody, but. So I said, we're going to do something really different right here. Who's the strongest man in this room? And everybody points, Andre. I said, well, I figured. <laughs> I said, I'm going to challenge Andre to an arm wrestling match, and I'm going to whip him in front of all of you. And I said, and if I don't, then I'm not worth my salt, and not one of you young people need to listen to a thing I have to say in the next three days. I'm going to take my family, and I'm going to leave. I looked at Andre, and I said, no, I challenge you. You either get up and come down here and get whooped or sit down. One of the two. I was hoping he was just going to stay. I gave him an option. He stood up. I'm like, oh, shoot, here it comes. And he got out, and he starts walking to me. Now, when I walk, my legs don't rub. <laughs> but Andre had these big thighs. He had to walk kind of like this. And all these thoughts are going through my head. And he's walking right there to me, and he gets as close as you are to me and Jordan, right? Yes. Gets as close as Jordan is to me. I got that by the Holy Ghost because I had no clue. Amen. <laughs> He gets as close as Jordan is to me, and all of a sudden, he takes a step, and he just starts to do this. And he looks around, and I literally saw his eyeballs like a pinball machine go, ding, 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 ding. I mean, he starts shaking his head like this, puts his hand up there. Well, when I saw that, I got a little sassy, and I said, come on, you want a piece of me, boy? Big boy, come on down here. Right now. 
And the, and, and the closer he got to me, because the presence of God, he's walking like a drunk man. He would not have passed the DWI, amen? <laughs> and he's just walking like this, and he comes down, and I sat him over there, and then I sat over here, and we put our arms on the stage to arm wrestle, and I had the associate pastor come on up, and he actually was over there for some time. Marcus Whitman was over there in Cheyenne, Wyoming for a period of time. I had Marcus come up, and when he put his hands on our hands, as we're like this, to, to, to say one, two, three, go, power of God. God hit Marcus, he fell over on top of Andre. And then I said, I said to Marcus, I said, get off him, I don't need your help. <laughs> and then he started us, and what God did, he didn't make me stronger, he made Andre's arm, you know, just so weak, I just played with him. Oh, you're getting me. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, you're getting me. Oh, no, you're not. And while I was doing that, I looked at the youth, and I was amazed 300 were in the first three rows, stacked three and four and five high. And their eyes are just looking at this. I said, are you ready? They're like, yes. And I said, here you go. And then I went, boom, 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 like that. (laughs) And when I did that, the power of God hit those young people. They took off running all around that room, and people were healed. There were miracles that took place. And I'm telling you, for the rest of the next three days, every one of them came like this, with notes, just listening to what God would do. Amen. Why? Because he's in this room. Come on, Jesus talked like he actually had somebody backing him up. Amen. Come on, let's go a little further with this, because this is really, really good, and it won't take forever. Jesus went on to say... This command have I received from my father. So the father said something to him that made him actually not just say it, but actually live in a manner as though it were true. Going a little further, I'm going to look in the Amplified, and it says it this way. No one takes it away from me, talking about his life. On the contrary, I lay my life down voluntarily. I am authorized and have power to lay it down, and I am authorized and have power to take it back up. You see, the work of the Holy Ghost in him would allow him to actually lay his life down at the same time the work of the Holy Ghost in him would take it back up. You say, what do you mean the work of the Holy Ghost would lay it down? Well, you gotta, you got to be able to release the life in you and let go of it in order to, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. Back in the day, F.F. F. Bosworth, I don't know if you, that name means anything to you, but some of you that have studied healing, you know, F.F. F. Bosworth wrote Christ the Healer, which is still one of the best books out there on healing. Well, back in that day, especially down in the South, they didn't have real names, they just had letters. F.F. F. Bosworth, R.W. Shambach, A.A. Allen, right? Right? They just had a bunch of letters. Well, F.F. Bosworth was was friends with T.L. Osborne, and his wife was Daisy. So F.F. called T.L. and said, bring Daisy with you. Every time I say that, I just get a chuckle inside because it sounds so funny. F.F. called T.L. and said, bring Daisy. Amen. What what is this? It doesn't compute. But bring Daisy over to the house. I need you to pray with me about something, and you two are the only ones that won't think I'm nuts. He was 83 years of age, lying on a bunch of pillows on his bed when they walked in. They said, F.F., you doing okay? He said, yeah, I'm doing perfectly well. Well, what, what, what can we pray with you about? He said, I'm ready to go home. He said, I lived a wonderful life. He said, I'm ready to go right now. He said, the only problem is I've talked about the life of God for so long. My body's so healthy, it won't let me go. He said, I need you to help pray me out of my body. See, anybody else would have thought, well, you can't do that. 
Well, yeah, you can. So they started praying. Sure enough, he sat up and said, well, I think I'm going. And then it's kind of like, you know, lighting a firecracker that doesn't catch. (laughs) I guess it didn't work. So he said, come back tomorrow night. They went back tomorrow night. Same thing happened. It seemed like there was a presence there. It seemed like the power of God's there. It seemed like, praise the Lord, I'm ready to fly away. I think I'm hearing it. And I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> he said, well, the third night. Let's come back to the third night. In the middle of the third night, after about 15, 20 minutes of them praying, the presence of God showed up. He sat up and said, I'll see you on the other side. It almost brings me to tears. Laid back down. He was gone. See, he needed power to lay it down. And then there's power to take it back. Hmm. I I tell you, I'm getting to something here tonight. I'm taking a lot longer than you think. Amen? But still, I'm getting somewhere, which is what? You can actually press this covenant right to the very end of your life. And he's still right there. He will back you up. Everything in this Bible here was meant for you to have a life. It wasn't meant for you to be some religious head and a Bible thumper. Huh? I mean, that big old facility there, Raymond Bible Church, we're getting ready to break ground on that. So they went ahead and had this big open air, you know, uh, tent meeting of which the prayers didn't pray because it rained three nights. (laughs) And we're setting it up, and it's almost stage set up so the singers, we could come in. This is back when I was traveling, Brother Hagen and the singing group. We could come in and do a sound check. And I'm just sitting on a chair, and some... You know, interesting looking individual, I'll just put it that way, comes walking down the road and has got one of those big Bibles in his hand. What kind of big Bible? I'm talking about a hundred years ago where you had a big Bible and it was on a pedestal and the first thing you saw when you walked into a home and it was open to a particular, people didn't read that, they just had it sitting there. And it had hardcover and it was about yay big and it was about that thick. And he walked up to me and said, I have a special anointing of hitting someone over the head. He went boom and he hit me over the head with that. And it hurt. And I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I do everything loud. I don't toot my horn. I honk it. I let you know you should right now. Get off the road and go back to school. You aren't driving right. Now this is something that my wife and I have taken up as one of the things that I'd like to conquer before Jesus comes. And so I actually worked very hard, trying not to be so vocal, trying not to use my horn. Now I'm actually being an encouragement. That's really good. You're turning right now and using your blinker. Now hurry a little faster. (laughs) So it's still very sarcastic. So the Lord still wouldn't really like it. But I'm working on this area. So when he hits me over the head, all I can think of, I am going to lay you out with the five-fold ministry, prophet, evangelist, pastor, (laughs) pastor, and teacher. Here it comes. But I didn't. I was very nice. And we called security. <laughs> and they took him off. Amen. Got him out of there. And now, just like not remembering the name, I have no idea why I said that. So <laughs> let's go over here. <coughs> Jesus said, these instructions or orders which I have received as my charge from my Father. One other translation said, I must willingly of my own accord. So How much of this falls on the onus of us to accept the responsibility of having the choice of what our life is going to look like? And and that's actually the truth of this. What you believe today is what you're going to see tomorrow. What you accept as truth today will be what you see tomorrow. I've made this statement, and it doesn't make people actually feel so good, but it's still a a real good statement. 
How you do life is how you do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. What do you mean by that? Well, your perception of what you think reality is and your ability to choose yes or no, one or two. It's kind of like the, you know, being on let's make a deal. You got three doors. Which one are you going to choose? Well, you choose that one. That's what you get. And it's just like that in life with us. Sometimes we don't think about it that way, but that's one of the main reasons why we want to be connected to God. Why? The more connected to him we are, the easier it is to follow his pathway. And his pathway is always bright. It's always good. It's always amazing. God's got things planned for our life. Amen. So here I want to show you something as we go on down to another, another verse of Scripture. All right? Because Jesus had these... Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Jesus had these, this assignment from his father... And he actually lived and walked in this assignment. And this is important for the day that we're living in. You say, why is it so important? Because we are beginning to experience different things than we've ever experienced in this country before. And the little degree that we've experienced some things in the past, eh, what we're experiencing today pretty well dwarfs it. Things like a, a planned pandemic. I don't mind that I actually use the word planned pandemic. If you don't agree, that's okay. We can disagree very agreeably. I think that's still a part of the American way. And I need to respect what you actually believe so that it gives me a right to say what I actually believe. But I do believe it's a planned pandemic. More information is coming out right now that shows that this particular type of virus would never act this way as a real virus, that it had to be mutated into being able to cross continents and go different places because from one continent to the next, it wouldn't be that way, whether you believe that or not. Uh, that's all out of speculation. Uh, you read whatever you read, sometimes you can't actually believe it. But I believe it was a planned pandemic, so, so what? I'll also go as far as to say I believe that all of us are pawns and we're being played and it's about time that we as Americans rise up and realize that this country is ours, it's not the government's. Amen? I learned all that on Bugs Life. I did. I mean, the ants were serving the grasshoppers and yet... And yet there were so many more of them, and they were so much stronger than the grasshoppers. The grasshoppers just had, you know, an appearance to make them feel like, you know, they had to be on, on their P's and Q's until one little ant figured out, hey, there's a whole lot more of us. What would happen if we actually banded together? Maybe things wouldn't have to be this way. And, you know, it wasn't received real well, just like in America today. Those that just don't want to think in a land where you have the freedom to think might say to somebody that is thinking, well, I wouldn't be that way. I wouldn't think that way. That's a conspiracy theory. But there's a lot getting ready to come out in our country that's going to literally floor people as to the corruption that has been going on underneath our noses while we've been paying money into a government that's actually been taking our kids and doing all kinds of unlawful things. And this is going to come out very soon. And it's going to cause a lot of people to rise up and be mad that we're actually putting up with this. And if the ants would just rise up, the grasshoppers would have to say, yes, sir. 
I think that's the way the framers wanted it to be in the first place. Let's move on, but this is very important here. Jesus had this audacity to realize that there was power backing him up, and no man could touch that power, which means they couldn't touch him. How far can we take what we believe? Notice what it says here in verse 28 to 30 in the New King James Version, Luke chapter 4. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Well, they weren't really wanting to throw him. Yes, they were. They were trying to kill him. It sounds like the same spirit is around today, the gnashing of teeth. You watch some of these kids, my goodness, you know, what they really need is just somebody to put them over a knee. Amen? You know, back in our day, you know, people used to go out and have to pick their own switch. Huh? And if it wasn't a good enough one, you had to go back out and get a better one. Usually, if there was a willow tree, you knew you were in trouble. Huh? My dad was a high school disciplinarian. In other words, a principal. And back in that day, you could still discipline kids, which is the same thing as half-beating them, you know. <laughs> he had a paddle that was this long, and he took it down to the wood shop and bored holes in it just so that he could get a few miles an hour faster <laughs> of a step. And you wouldn't sit down for half a day when you got cracked. I grew up north of Niagara Falls, and back then in Niagara Falls, the mob was very, very, you know, active. So my dad had mob bosses, kids in the school, and they ha usually were all derelicts, and he would beat the tar out of them. <laughs> and then he would tell them on purpose, make sure you come here with your dad tomorrow. And every mob boss that ever walked into my dad's office came, they're all Italian, came, shook his hand and gave him a big hug and said, Bill, you beat him here, well, I beat him at home. <laughs> they didn't have a problem with it. They enjoyed that there was some discipline going on. But you watch some of the kids, the gnashing of teeth and how people are so vicious, that spirit, that's what it was that was throwing Jesus over the brow. Now notice what it says. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now, now I played high school football, I played college football, and you know, there's, there's a thing you know, where you can, you, can, you can come up to somebody, you can juke this way with your head, and then actually go this way. Woo, glory, you know, you got some moves, praise the Lord. Well, it doesn't say Barry Sanders was, woo, tiptoeing through the crowd, and he made a touchdown. It doesn't say that. It says he just passed through the midst of them. How do you explain that? There was something on him because he knew he had power to lay it down. He knew he had power to pick it back up. And no man can take my life. Well, what about a mob getting ready to throw you over the brow of the hill? And Jesus just walked through the midst of the mob. Woo! They never touched him. I don't even believe. I got out of range there. I don't even believe they knew it was him. You say, what do you mean? Well, a good friend of mine, she stands in the prophet's office. She was in a church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and a guy at the school by the name of Doug Jones went to her service. Now, she would have been nervous to actually prophesy to him because, you know, he was, he was a, in a sense, kind of one of the favorite teachers of the area, and, and, and rightly so, a tremendous gift. After the meeting, some of the people that knew her real well said, uh, you prophesied to Doug Jones tonight. She said, no, I didn't. 
They said, yes, you did. He was sitting on the third row. That guy, you, she said the guy in the third row was about 75 years old with gray hair. Isn't Doug Jones in his late 40s with, with brown hair? And they said, well, yeah, but it was Doug Jones. She said, no, it was a man that was in his 70s with gray hair. Huh. What happened? God had her to see someone else so that she could, with, without any nervousness or feeling like she should or shouldn't, she just went ahead and prophesied and gave the word that was exactly for Doug Jones. But he looked like somebody else. They're getting ready to throw Jesus over the brow of the hill, and all of a sudden, he just turns around, <laughs> walks back, and they're all saying, where'd he go? Jesus probably could have turned around and said, yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because they didn't know who he was. Wow. Can God work with us like, I'm telling you, it doesn't work just because. Any more than you've been a Christian possibly all your life and you haven't seen everything just fall into place. See, it works when you believe it. And when you believe something, you're actually involved. Now, you could say, I believe in the election. I believe in voting. And on November 4th, I said, did you vote? Well, no, I didn't vote. Well, then you don't really believe in it. If you believe in something, you're involved. Right? Isn't that what James says? You know, people say, I got faith, but they don't have any works to back it up. I don't even have to say I got faith because you just, excuse me, I spit. I don't have to say I got faith because what you see me doing shows you what I believe. Come on, you starting to get this? Is this amazing? Why, why is it so important? Well, I want to get to this statement right here. Come on, a couple more scriptures, a couple more stories, and we're going to minister some healing to some people. And we're going to come back in the morning and have a great time. Amen. Morning services, for some reason, are always really good. Amen. Amen. So, I'm looking at John chapter 7. Now, in John chapter 7, there's a lot in this, but... Part of what I'm going to read at the beginning will help set the stage here. It just says this. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now that also says some things too. Without going there or spending time on that, it also says Jesus just didn't on purpose put himself unnecessarily in situations. But if there's a situation that came upon him from the outside to him while he's doing the will of God, he didn't have to worry one bit about it. And neither do you. And either do you. Now, it goes on to talk about his brothers. It says, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, hey, depart from here and go to Judea. Now, they're not saying this nicely. This is very sarcastic. That your disciples also may see the works that you are doing, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. Did Jesus seek to be known openly? No. Where do they find him sometimes? Up on a mountain. Way out, way out in the fields. They're, they're sarcastic. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. And I want you to remember that. Because this sermon is about, it's not my time. That's what you're going to say to the cancer cell. No, it's not my time. You can't take me, see. No man can touch me. No cancer cell can touch me. And if you touch me, you'll have no effect. Because it's what? Not my time. Maybe somebody else's time, but it's not my time. 
You'll stand there and see a thousand on your right hand and, and 10,000 on your left hand fall, but it will not come nigh you, right? This is our covenant, folks, where a covenant is not about theology. I'm telling you, you got to get rid of the idea that theology is what you're after. No, that's just a study of God. That means you can say, well, I've studied him. Do you know him? Do you get a prayer answered? Well, that's a different thing. It's not my time. The Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? Later on, he went, Jesus went on to talk and he said, you know, but he who seeks the glory of the one uh, who sent him is true. Meaning, Jesus did everything in connection with his father. That's why he was confident. I'm telling you, everything, can I say this? Everything about this book is not for you to have a relationship with the book. I did not, I did not harm the book. I, I was not irreverent to the Bible when I said that. I actually, to be honest with you, gave it more reverence than somebody that walks around and hugs it all day long. And I don't mean that you can't love God so much and, and appreciate the Bible that you don't hug it. Had one preacher, you know, he got up on TV, a main, a main you know, VIP type preacher in the Word of Faith, and he got up and said, well, if you haven't felt Jesus in a while, just take your Bible, that's Jesus. Well, no, it's not, it's, it's not Jesus, it's a book. When I see Jesus in heaven, it's not going to be a book with, with skinny little legs. Everything about the Bible are people's experiences with God. So if the Bible is about people's experiences with God, and Paul's whole revelation is to get the church and the world out of Adam's dilemma. Adam changed everything. Adam's job in the garden was not to pick weeds. There weren't weeds in the garden. He didn't have to hoe. When God said, guard the garden, keep the garden, what he was saying is, guard your heart. Why? There was someone in there that was going to try to steal their heart. Adam walked with God. Did Adam have to, uh, you know, figure out what he's going to do for lunch? No, God provided that. Did Adam have to figure out what to do about shelter? No, God provided that. Come on, think about this. Did Adam have to worry about what he was going to wear? No, he had glory on him. All of, fall, all of sin and fallen short of the glory. Sin caused the glory to dissipate, and that's why they said, Woo! Okay? So food, shelter, and clothing. Did Adam have to do it? No, it was provided. So what did Adam actually get to do? Now, this is crazy, folks, but just listen for another few moments. Adam actually got to hang out with God. Now, that's a hard concept for us if we have a, a faith in a concept of God and not an actual relationship with God. In other words, a relationship with God is always going to have testimony. I'm with my wife a lot. Which means, on any given day, you can call me up and you can say, give me a testimony. And I say, yeah, we, uh, we actually went for a walk this morning and we were talking about such and such. And then we did this and then we did that. And then I, I had to go do this and she had to go do that. But then we came back and we did this because I'm with her. And I can talk to you about what we say. I can talk to you about what we do. And a real relationship with God is the exact same thing. He does talk. And he does walk with you. Come on, even the song says it. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And if it's in a song, it's got to be true. <laughs> it's a relationship. 
And the interesting thing is, everything in this book are about people that had that. So you don't want to glory just in what they had. You want to have it too. So, so important that we see this. Well, very quickly, walking through some of these, these thoughts, you know, as it goes down further in the story... It says, now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing. Why do they say nothing? Because he had a command that gave him power to lay it down, to take it back up, and no one could take it from him. I love that. A little bit further, Jesus cried out and taught in the temple, said, You both know me, and you know where I come from, and I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because this hour had not come. Think about this. Come on, the corona wants to lay a hand on you, but it's not your time. Huh? It's not your time. It's just kind of like it comes and it just goes. Amen. It's just slip sliding away. It just never sticks. Like Teflon, the best pan in the world. Amen. Put an egg in there and just wiggle it around and flop it out and there's nothing in the pan. Amen. Now I'm telling you, it is just this real that's why we're not having a meeting tonight to listen to me. We actually believe God's in this place, and the things that I'm going to say, hopefully by the direction of Him, will actually stir something up to see His wonderful grace in action. Have you checked yourself recently? What's happening? Amen. You seeing a change right now? Amen. 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 I wouldn't want to hit you, because if it didn't work, you'd probably hit me back. I was in a service and I laid hands on everybody and everybody's usually within the realm of about this tall to this tall and you're just kind of going like this and all of a sudden I looked up and it's like, holy smokes. This guy looked like a defensive end, big old barrel chest. I can't make mine go that big, but big old barrel chest on him like this. He stood at least about six, probably 6'10", around that high and just big, big, huge guy, big, deep voice and I went to lay hands on him, which I'd have to go like that and the Lord said, hit him in the chest as hard as you can. And I thought to myself, you know, you come down here. You hit him in the chest as hard as you can. <laughs> I mean, this guy's going to kill me. So all I could think of was if I can knock him out, then I can close the meeting down and just go to the next town. So I looked at him. I said, hey. He goes, well, you know what? It's just a big voice. I said, I'm going to minister to you a little different than everybody else. Okay. I said, I'm going to hit you in the chest as hard as I can, and God's going to heal you. He goes, on one condition, preacher. I said, I thought I was in control. All of a sudden, it switched just like that. <laughs> I said, what's the condition? He said, if it doesn't work, I'm going to hit you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now i got to really know that I know that I know and sing that song. That I know that I know. That I know that I know that I know. Hey, man, we could actually do a little song on that. Ding, 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 ding. you got to know that you know that you know that you know what I mean. So all of a sudden, you know, but, but, but as a New Yorker, that just challenged me. Oh, yeah, you going to hit me back? All right, big boy, here it comes. And I reached back, and I, boom, and I hit him as hard as I possibly could. I thought I'd at least knock him off his, you know. It was like that. I'm like, <laughs> really? And he just looks down at me like this. You can tell he's starting to think, like, do I hit him now? Do I hit him later? 
And I've learned something in the ministry. When something don't look good, you press it further. You don't back up to say, oh, my God, what? it didn't, didn't seem like it worked. No, you go further. So I got my finger right in his face, and I stood up on my tiptoes, and I said, I dare you to check it, and just screamed it out like that. Within a nanosecond like that, all of a sudden, these big tears just started dropping off his face. He lifted his hands and said, thank you, Jesus. I turned around, grabbed my heart, and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, everybody. I'm trying to finish. It goes down a little further to say, now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. They even said, the Pharisees says, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like him. And then they said, oh, what, are you deceived? Are you now his disciples too? And you know what the end of it was? And everyone went home. Well, the doctor said you got cancer. And everyone went home. Well, it looks like you're going to have arthritis in that knee. And everyone went home. Why? You have power to lay it down. You have power to take it back up. And no man, and if no man, then no sickness, no disease, no devil is going to take you. No pain's going to take you. Amen. And what's going to be the end result of it? Oh, those things are just going to go home. Which means what? It's all disbanded. It's all over. See, when you really know who you are, you'll fight to maintain your place in Christ. You won't fight to try to get something that you can't do in a million years. Jesus did it for you. But you'll fight to do what? To maintain who you are. Now, I'm down in Kentucky, and I'm talking about my daughter. My oldest daughter, you know, uh, because of the corona, you know, she lost her internship. But she had an internship with Disney as an animator. Totally cool job. And they extended her, 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 her internship an extra six months. And it was supposed to end in this past June. But in March, the coronavirus and all that garbage, and so they ended the internships. And then the boss told her that we actually, a week ago, sent your paperwork up to actually hire you because we, we really like you and want you, but they ended it. So we're trusting that she'll be able to get back into that. But anyhow, one of the jobs she had recently was going over and redoing all the princesses. That's kind of a hard word to say. The princesses. What's a princesses? It's a princess. <laughs> and it's many of them. So it's a princesses. You try to say that. Make their hair beautiful. And if you see Elsa's hair and you think, wow, that hair's great, Allie did that. And she would redo the eyes, redo the makeup, because they have to kind of make them more modern, you know what I mean, and make them a little beautifying. They got a word for it and everything. So I told everybody, I said, there's all kinds of princesses. There's a princess. I says, and do you, do you know some? Can you name some? Can you name some? Can you girls name a princess? Of Walt Disney. You can't? Elsa. Thank you, Elsa. Amen. That's one. Did I just say Elsa? Oh, okay. I just said that. Anyone else? Yes, Rapunzel is one. That's right. She had the long hair, didn't she? Who else? Ariel. Yes, she would be a princess. Yes. Moana. Yes. Who else? Girls. Who else? What? Mulan? Yes. Who else? Cinderella. You know one? I wouldn't admit to it. What's that? Rapunzel. We got, we got a duplicate there. Yes, ma'am. Snow White. Yes, yes. I know some of you are thinking, is this going somewhere? Trust me. Who? 
Anna is right. Yes, amen. You get the car for that. <laughs> anyone, anyone else? One more. Yes? Bell. That's the one I was looking for. Because when I was in Kentucky, I'm getting all these names, and all of a sudden, this lady raised her hand and said, yes, she says, Baal. I said, no, Baal was actually Satan that people worshipped. And she said, no, Baal. And I said, I know, Baal was a, a heathen god that the heathens worshipped. And then she said, I'm trying to say Baal. And I said, you're not trying to say Baal, are you? She said, yes, Baal. <laughs> but the princess that I was actually wanting you to get was, was it Tiana? Is that it? Yes, the princess and the frog, Tiana. Because what happened with the princess and the frog was, is they got turned, the prince and Tiana, who became the princess, got turned into frogs. And everything they did from that moment was trying to find a way to get back into being a princess and a prince because they knew they weren't frogs. And when you start to see that you actually have power to lay it down, power to take it up, no man, sickness and disease, pain, struggles, devils can touch you, everything in you will fight to do what? To be that son of God with power and to not cower to the things of this world just because it looks that way. Sometimes you got to find out what someone really believes. So the last thing I'll tell you was I was messing with my wife one night. Now, what I mean by that was we're on our way to church. And I saw, I saw Walgreens up there in the corner. She was on her phone. And I just said to her, I said, hey, honey, I said, I'm going to pull into Walgreens. It looks like the pharmacy's open. I'm going to get your prescription. And she's on her phone. She goes, huh? So she wasn't really listening. And I said, uh, we're getting closer to Walgreens. I'm going to go ahead and pull into Walgreens and get your prescription. Well, now she listened. She said, what prescription? And I said, what do you mean, what prescription? I said, I ordered your, your um, insulin. It's for your diabetes. Well, now she put her phone down because she's ready to fight. You know, she's pretty feisty. And she looked at me. She said, what diabetes? I don't have diabetes. Why in the world would I need insulin for something I don't have? And I looked at her and said, that's what I wanted you to say. She said, what are you doing? I said, I just wanted to know what someone who knew they didn't have something would say if somebody tried to make them take something for something they didn't have. And she looked at me and said, you're so weird. I went right back to her phone. <laughs> but she was extremely convincing. I don't have this, so I don't take this. I'm telling you, folks, when it gets really into you, you'll look at the problems of life and say, it is not my time. I don't care what it looks like, I don't have that. I don't care what it seems like, that's not mine. And this trouble that's staring me in the face, it's going to leave as fast as it came because I've got power to lay my life down. I've got power to take it back up. And you can press the issue right to the worst of circumstances and you'll be remaining standing with God while the rest of it just dissipates and disappears. Yes, there may be a weapon formed against you, but it will not prosper. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.